Well, let's dive into God's Word this morning, shall we? If you would, please grab a Bible at this time, and uh, we're going to get going in John chapter 3, so open up there. For those of you just joining us, we took a two-week break from our study in the Gospel of John to focus on the Lord's Prayer, where we've really gleaned and gathered that we need to act in prayer in this uncertain season. And now we're returning to the Gospel of John, and we'll be in chapter 3. So please get there, pause this if you need to. And as we're getting there, if there's one thing that we as human beings love, it's a good story, isn't it? I mean, true stories, make-believe stories. We have stories that fill our shells, stories that fill our lives, stories that are told and retold over and over again. And do you know why we like good stories? There are several reasons. But this morning, I'm going to put it to you like this. Imagine with me. Imagine Luke Skywalker of Star Wars. Okay, got it? And he walks out onto the bridge of the Starship Enterprise from Star Trek. Now, for some of you, right at that moment, you think uh, you, I'd committed what you just thought might be a, a mortal sin. Or what if, let's put it in a different picture, a different frame. What if Scott Frost suddenly up and left Husker football and started coaching the Hawkeyes swimming team? Or what if the board of directors of the Future Farmers of America was actually made up of people who had spent their entire careers as software engineers who lived in the urban downtown for their whole lives? <laughs> are you kind of getting a picture of a little bit of that doesn't quite make sense there and where are you going with this? And do you know what that is? On all three of those examples, that's the wrong hero of the wrong story. The wrong hero of the wrong story. And good stories are good stories because the right hero is part of the story. The right hero is in the right story. So when we come to John chapter 3, verse starting in verse 22, at the end of the chapter today, the question we are going to be asking is this, who is the hero of this story? If we get it right, we find hope. If we get it wrong, we will continue to run from one short-lived hope to another, ultimately remaining without hope. So, do you want to know and be reminded of who the hero of this true story is, this true story that we hold in our hands? Okay, then hopefully you've gotten to John chapter 3 by now. And if you have, let's read. Starting in verse 22 all the way through verse 36. After this, it's his time in Jerusalem, by the way. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been thrown in prison. 
Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. Let's pray real quick. Father, give us understanding of this word that you have spoken today that you've spoken in your word. We ask that we would see Jesus in his name. Amen. So did you hear this? In this passage, there is no mistake. Who's the hero of this story? Jesus is the hero of the story. Now, because Jesus is the hero of this story, there are a few massive implications of this being the case that, Jesus, that John the evangelist highlights in our passage. First of all, if it's the right story, people are going to Jesus. I mean, whether they have many or few, heroes usually begin to gather a following. And Jesus already has some as he begins in his ministry. Verse 22, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. We've looked at this in previous messages of John, but after a very tense moment of holy authority in the temple in John chapter, chapter 2, and a powerful late-night conversation with Nicodemus, one of the rulers of the Jews at the beginning of John chapter 3, Jesus and his disciples need to get out of the city. And what we see here, I hope you pick up on this, is an awesome picture of part of the Christian life, of following Jesus, there are points, and there should be regular points, where we who follow Jesus, who believe in him, are spending restful time with Jesus. Yes, I know and I believe that we should be walking with Jesus every moment of every day in continual communication with him, walking in step by the Holy Spirit, being in his word day by day. Yes, I get that. But a change of scenery, a change of pace with Christ is part of us refocusing on the right hero of the right story. 
And this is a huge privilege that we who, are, who trust in Jesus, we're given this. We're given this privilege to spend time with him. That that is a worthwhile thing that we can do with the time that is given us. And as they spend time with him, refreshing ministry takes place. He remained there with them and was baptizing. In John chapter 4, John says that Jesus did not do the baptizing, but his disciples did. And it seems that this baptism of repentance that John the Baptist started was carried on by Jesus for some time. But look at what this fact sets up in this story. It says in John, verse 23, John also was baptizing. If it's the right story, people are going to Jesus, even when John the Baptist is still on the scene. He's been the guy on the scene preparing the way for the Christ, for the hero of the story. And one of the questions I think that God was having John the Baptist and his followers ask was this. When they've been pursuing godliness, doing good ministry, having a huge impact, getting ready for the Messiah, the Christ, that's, that's Jesus. How are they going to handle it when people actually start following Jesus, actually start going to Jesus like they're supposed to? Now, we could easily say, oh, they'd be fine and it's not an issue. But this is one of those, this is one of those crossroads of temptation where we can either choose to glorify God or glorify ourselves. And it was the same for John and his disciples. Their ministry up to this point was getting people ready to go. Now their ministry has to change in telling people to go. And that means going away from them. That means fewer crowds, potentially less influence, and possibly being left behind in the new fervor that's arising around Jesus. I think the question is also asked about us. What about us? I know a lot of you have teachers, preachers, great Christian men and women in your life whom you look up to and you follow. I do. It's okay. But the question for us is this. If Jesus is the hero, and he is, and it's the right story, are we going to stick with our favorite teacher and call it good? Or are we going to pursue Jesus like our favorite teacher should have been teaching us this whole time. Now we see in verse 26 that John's disciples have some difficulty with this. It says, Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, with a term of respect, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, all those great things, Look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. Humph. Now, this is probably obvious, but his disciples aren't saying, Hallelujah, John, what you've been saying about this whole time, people are actually doing it. They're following the Messiah. No, they're actually a bit grumpy about it and having to struggle adapting to the change that is taking place now that the right hero of the story has come onto the scene. Now, I've been told this, and I am continually proving it to be the case through experience, that the only people who really like change are babies with wet diapers. 
And so what we see here in the right story is that people are doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're going to Jesus and others don't quite understand. And maybe you felt this way when Jesus saved you and your life began to change and your friends and your relatives might have been initially excited or ambivalent, but when you stopped doing certain things or started doing things that were the fruit of a life made new and devoted to Jesus, they didn't accept the change as much as they might have wanted or as much as you might have wanted them to. And maybe in some cases, the Holy Spirit changes you and you have some difficulty letting go of the way things used to work as he brings the real hero to bear in your life and in every area of your life. Well, his disciples respond, not quite understanding, but how does John respond? He's at a crossroads too. How are we to respond when change comes? Number two, remember whose story you're part of. John answered in verse 27, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. As much as this world and we ourselves may want to say my life or my story or our world, it's not really the case. Sinatra's song, My Way, would never have been on John the Baptist's lips, even if he had been alive in the last hundred years. And in fact, Scripture bears out doing things our way is what broke the world when we believe the lie that God was somehow holding out on us and keeping us from reaching our full potential. And that's why Jesus had to come, because the world had been broken and we were, we were stuck in sin. And so in mercy, Jesus is sent by a loving God the Father to save through taking our place under God's wrath and dying on a cross. And John, by the, John the Baptist, by the Holy Spirit, responded to his disciples' displeasure of Jesus gaining a following by saying, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. John wouldn't have gained a following. John would not have been the forerunner. Jesus wouldn't have gained disciples. And people won't receive Jesus unless the sovereign God, the author of the story, gives it. What if the will of God for us is not to be in the limelight? What if the American, or an end to extent worldwide, idea that celebrity is to be emulated actually steals limelight from the true hero of the story? What if we can do a better job of letting Jesus shine by working behind the scenes, so to speak, to make him known? And so John reminds his disciples of whose story he and they are part of. 
says, you yourselves bear me witness, in verse 28, that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. John had said this before every time he was questioned about who he was, and he responded first with who he wasn't. I am not the Christ. Let's get that clear. I'm not the Christ. And what's amazing is John lived in wonderful freedom by saying and believing that. People all over the world believe. And we who are part of Jesus Christ's church at one time believed that we were our own saviors or that someone or something else was our savior. But we know when we are, when we are brought to face to face with Jesus and experience the conviction of his Holy Spirit, that that is a horrible burden and a burden that fallen humanity cannot bear. We cannot be a Christ. But what freedom there is when there is only one Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. What freedom there is when there is only one hero of the story. What freedom there is when we embrace this and we recognize that this, what we're part of, is not our story, but his. Our hope is more sure when he's the hero of his story. And our recognition of that is what true humility really is. People often think of humility as being a doormat. No, not even close. Humility is seeing and embracing reality. That this is God's story and that we get to see by his loving grace on us. And we get to be a part of it and rejoice that he is the hero and cheer him on and root for him and support him and love him. He doesn't come as an add-on to our lives. He comes to lovingly show us whose life we're to be believing and living in. John reminds his disciples that he's not the hero, and he tells them a parable to emphasize this. He says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase and I must decrease. The church is Jesus's, not John's. John the Baptist gets to introduce the bridegroom to the bride. Do you know what a joy it was for John to be able to say, know, and believe that his ministry, his life mattered because it was part of the right story? That he was successful because he was looking to Jesus, the right hero? That he got to see with his own eyes and speak aloud with his own mouth the great turning point of all of God's history. That Jesus, God incarnate, had come to make a people for himself, the church, and had come to set the captives free and had come to open the eyes of the blind, both physically and spiritually, and open them to the reality that this world is his story. What's going on in it is to point to him. And when we take that humble posture, 
We're going to say the same thing that John did. He must increase and we must decrease. If we are living life and people are noticing us more than Jesus when we're around, we need to ask Jesus for help. It's so much better when the hero of the story is actually known and actually received as the hero. It's so much better when we are part of a larger story than just tooting our own little horn of a little tiny scene in it. God, the author of the story, wants people to go to his son and he wants people to remember whose story they're part of. And that's because he's the one who introduced the hero into the story. Number three, look here in verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. See, God the Father makes Jesus the hero. John can't hold a candle to Jesus because John is from the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He was given the Holy Spirit, yes, but he could not speak and live like Jesus because he wasn't from where Jesus was from and he hadn't seen what Jesus had seen. And he who comes from above, from heaven, is above all. Jesus makes the Father known perfectly and he bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Then it goes on and says, Yet no one receives his testimony. Many times when people come to this story that we call the Christian scriptures, it's a true story, but they don't believe it is a true story. They may understand Jesus as a historical figure, but not as God come from heaven. See, on our own, apart from God giving us eyes to see, a mind to understand, and a heart that's living and soft towards him, we can't see we can't believe. We can't receive. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given him from heaven. But if it's given, we can receive it. And God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And if we receive it, which is another way John talks about believing, if we receive Jesus' testimony of his father, Believing him who died on the cross to take away sin, which keeps us blind in our sin and in opposition to God. And the one who rose again that we might have eternal life in him in right relationship with God. If we receive that Jesus, we bank the lives that we have been given on the reality that God is telling the truth. That God is true to who he is and he is ultimate truth, ultimate reality. He is as objective as objective can be. 
And the greatest honor we can give to God the Father is to believe his Son. Jesus, the hero, has an utterly unique relationship with God the Father. For he whom God has sent, verse 34, utters the words of God. For he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. There is a love here, a closeness here, that is not the same as God so loved the world. It is the love such that Jesus is the eternal recipient of God's affection and joy, such that every word he speaks as a man is the true words of God, or are the true words of God. And he has from eternity past into eternity future been the only one who enjoys infinite relationship and fellowship of of God with the Father and the Holy Spirit. No individual in the church is given the Holy Spirit without measure. But Jesus, as fully God and fully man, also enjoys that same relationship as a man. And God, his Father, has given all things into his hand. And that includes eternal life and the authority of God's wrath. And that's why when we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, as John, the whole purpose of which John wrote his book, John chapter 20, verse 31, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we may have life in his name. We are given eternal life. We receive the one who is so intimately connected to the Father and the Holy Spirit that we are then connected to God's life. We are made into the image of the Son of God to reflect him. And we are given life and the Holy Spirit to do that. And we as a church need to rejoice and give thanks that we have been given, we have been given this amazing grace to have life today because Jesus has given his church life by giving his life for his bride. This is so wonderful that we should desire this to be received by everyone. We should be both joyful and sober of the implications of Jesus being the hero of the story, that God has made the hero of the story. Because Jesus being the hero means that we have, there has to be sides and you have to take a side. You either receive, that is believe, the true hero by the grace that God lavishly gives his people, or you remain the villain the one who does not obey God. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now, while we'll get into an understanding of this more fully as we go through the Gospel of John, it's necessary to stop and understand a little bit of what obedience is here. 
And obedience scripturally has essentially two levels. And we need to pay attention for this because if we get these two levels mixed up, as many have, as we do in our own fallen nature, we get it mixed up, we will put ourselves back into a mindset of condemnation, which for us who believe, we're set free from both the reality of and the mindset of condemnation. Okay, so the first level, the level that is the one in John that his gospel emphasizes and the one that we got to get right at the top. To obey the Son is to believe him. Jesus is asked a question a little later in the book of John, in John chapter 6, verse 28. It says, Then they, the crowd, said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered this way in verse 26. This is the first and greatest level of what it means to obey the Son of God. Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. That's it. Jesus is saying the exact same message as across this whole book. These are written that you may believe, that you may obey, that Jesus Christ is, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Believing, embracing, trusting, banking on Jesus is the first level of obedience. And by believing, as the verse says, you may have life in his name. And that's where the second level of obedience comes. If you don't believe the Son, you're not obeying God at any level. But if you do believe the Son, you are made a child of God who is given the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, you bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5 verse 22 through 23 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Against such things, which implies that that's not an exhaustive list, by the way. So the second level of obedience is following God's will in doing good works which flow from the work and power of the Holy Spirit already within you and at work within you because we believe. And this second level of obedience does not save us, but it's a confirmation, a further proclamation that we are children of God and that God is at work. And that he has made us alive in his kingdom, which is eternal life. Now, there's abundant instruction on this level of obedience throughout the New Testament. But here in John 3, the obedience being referred to is that of believing the Son. But we need to clarify that. Because it can, easy be, it can be easy to get them tripped up. And we've got to make sure we have them in the proper place. Believing the Son, you have eternal life. But if you don't believe, if you, or you don't obey, as the passage says, you don't even get to see life. 
Remember Jesus to Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You don't get to see Jesus as he has been sent. You don't get to see Jesus given as a gift to save, to be received by faith, by embracing him, by believing him. If you don't obey, if you don't believe. And because of that, the person who does not believe the son is the one who does not obey the son and who makes God the author of the story that they're a part of, a liar. They don't set their seal to God being true. And because of that, the passage goes on to say, the wrath of God remains on them. It's already there. God's wrath doesn't suddenly show up. It's already on people. They continue to sin. They continue in condemnation. As Paul says, such were some of you. Such were you. We were all dead in the trespasses of sins in which we once walked. And yet God showed mercy. And so because we have been shown mercy, we who believe should have should grieve and have great pity for those who don't believe. Judgment does begin at the household of God, the scripture says, but we are never condemned in that judgment, us who believe. When judgment hits those who do not believe, their unbelief will only be further confirmed. And the wrath of God will then be expressed in eternal conscious punishment. It is already being expressed here. It is already on them. So God grant us hearts for our neighbors and equip us to love them as ourselves. And God grant us to tell them his great story and to display with joy this great hero, Jesus. This hero hits home, doesn't he? And this is good news because we have a God who loves us. And so he sent his son to be the hero. The hero who rescues, the hero who saves, who hear, the hero who brings all loose ends together, the hero who brings resolution to the story. And you may feel very anxious or worried or stressed out right now in this season. And basically you may feel very small because you feel powerless in the face of something like a pandemic. This is the first one I've been through, or with this kind of scale anyway. You feel powerless with government restrictions, the inability to effect a, a faster restocking of toilet paper, or having trouble with cabin fever. And you feel powerless because you also don't know when it's going to end. You don't know what life is going to look like once we get the all clear. You can have some hopes and dreams. 
Who's the hero? Do you remember the book of Job in the New Old Testament in the Old Testament? Job was hit with almost as much suffering as Jesus himself. Almost. And Job rightly said, when that suffering came, I mean, he lost everything. He said to his wife, Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? And the scripture records that, Job 2 verse 10, In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Spoke was true. And what Job understood, and what John understood here, and what we are to understand is that God does not step off his throne, nor abandon his story of redeeming love, nor cease to be the hero just because something bad happens. And our greatest hope is to look to him. Jesus, the hero of the story, and to remember that we're part of his story. Not a story that's all up to us. We're still in the right story. And because we're in the right story, let's look to him who is the right hero of this story. And let's see him increase. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have sent your son to be exalted, to be the hero. And we give you thanks for that. We give you thanks, Lord Jesus, that being the hero comes at a great cost for you, came at a great cost for you. But you, as the scripture said, for the joy set before you endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seating and is seated now at the right hand of God the Father. And praise you, Lord, that you are bringing a consummation of all things. Thank you that you are coming back. Thank you, Lord, that you are the hero now. You are bringing people to yourself now. You want people, even by your grace through this message today, to come to you, to believe you, to have eternal life in your name. And so, Lord, we pray this. We pray, Lord, those of us who do know you already, Lord, that our hearts would be strengthened and that we would be refocused and we'd be filled with your Holy Spirit, that you would receive all honor and praise and glory from our lips, from our lives, as we spend time with you. We thank you for that gift, Lord. Lord, grace upon grace, as we are transformed from one degree of glory to the next, to the next glory. Lord, be exalted. May you increase even as we decrease. May when people look at us and our lives, may they see the life of Jesus. Lord, we ask for your help. And we ask for your Holy Spirit, whom you have without measure, to fill us that we may encourage one another, to fill us that we may reach out in love. We pray all these things in your good name, Lord Jesus. Amen.